1: and Welcome to another episode of Off The Wall, the podcast uh, on Anfield Index, where we like to give you a little taste of everything that's going on over on the paywall side of Anfield Index at Anfield Index Pro. Now, I say it's a paywall, but it's such a minimal commitment to get involved. It's uh, anfieldindex.com forward slash join. You can get seven days absolutely free, and from then it works out at only $4.99 per month, or if you want to save money still, $39.99 per year. It's brilliant value. There's uh, over 30 plus plus. Uh, podcast every month on that service uh usually 40 plus if we're being honest and last week with the reds uh playing in spain and this little break until monday i'm recording this on monday morning prior to the west ham game. there is a, a whole feast of content and it's uh, always strange to be discussing a loss but that's what the guys have been doing so immediately after the the loss in spain uh post-match Raw came out and uh our usual host Trev Downey uh was away uh unfortunately and when he when Trev's away we seem to have a little bit of bad luck uh the last time I think he was off was the the Man City uh game last season at, in the Premier League in January and uh, obviously we lost that one as well so uh Harry Setti admirably stepped in and he was joined by uh Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett to, to mull over the loss and then uh The next day, we had a podcast, which is the one I'm going to let you listen to in a moment in full. It's Money Talks. Uh, We've done two parts on that. Uh, As many of you may know, we have our own uh, in-house chartered accountant here at Anfield Index Pro. It's Mo Chatra, and Mo has some amazing threads on Twitter. uh, At Mo Chatra, if you want to read those, are all about this Manchester City uh, financial fair play case. It's been going on, obviously, in Mo's mind and some of the other financial... uh, Football journalists are uh, for for many years, and this is the culmination of a of a long wait in some ways, with all these parallel investigations going on. So, when the news broke, Friday passed. Mo and I got together and did a little insight into uh, the breaking news and what it may mean for football in the landscape, but we promised a deep dive on that uh, with a with a financial football specialist, and we managed to get Nick Harris, who's excellent from SportingIntelligence.com. Nick joined Mo for uh, about an hour or so, and they really went, looked into the nuts and bolts of this case, so that's a show. It's of paramount importance So I think this message goes far and wide, and obviously, using this off the wall platform is the best way for us at Anfield Index to have to do that. So I'm going to let you listen to that show in full in just a moment. After that, we also had our our Under Pressure podcast, uh, one of the flagship shows of the channel where the guys look at the stats and there was some fascinating stuff came out about the uh, Atletico Madrid game, some disagreements as well over Sadio Mane with Dan Kennett and Gags, kind of uh, chewing the fat over that one and Dan Rhodes threw threw in a few numbers as well to... uh, to pad out the show in, in in the usual style that he does. So under pressure, well worth a listen. Then we had James Pierce of the Athletic. He joined Nina the next day, and they they didn't just look at Liverpool's game; they looked at the wider European context from these uh, first legs of the Champions League. That's called Euro Incision. So that's the podcast on Anfield Index Pro that looks at all the fallout from the European games, and uh, it's always great to have James Pierce on. And uh, he he joined Nina to to look through the week on Europe. Then we had the legend, the yet legend, that is Jan Moby. He joined Trev he Trev back from his, uh, his his break in Scotland. Uh, he he was joined by Jan on Friday, and. The podcast is called Lesson Learn. Jan gives his professional insight, obviously from his time as a player with Liverpool and Denmark. And uh, it's always a great listen. It's my favorite show every week. It's, it's the only time I, I never get to listen to it is when I have to step in to step in for Trev, the host. I thought I may have to do that last week, but Trev was back in time and uh, he hooked up with a great Dane to, uh, to to look over Atletico again and preview uh, tonight's game against West Ham. Then on Friday we had the Pro Plus. That was the Progress Preview. That's where. Um, Guy Drinker was joined by Mark Roberts, and they gave their predictions. They looked through uh, all the stuff that was discussed in Jurgen Klopp's press conference uh, before the West Ham game. We also have AI scouted. That's Dave Hendrick and Carl Matchett. They take a real deep look at West Ham and uh, and basically mull, the, mull over everything to do with the opponent Liverpool's next opponent that's a, another show that takes place every week so go have a listen to AI Scouting then we had Rival Recon so this shows you the build-up that we do here on, on AI Pro is really extensive and that was Harry Seti joined by Roshan Thomas Roshan is the uh, the West Ham correspondent for The Athletic so uh, we had James Pearce from The Athletic on Incision. now we have Roshan Thomas uh, looking over West Ham with Harry Seti and discussing this new David Moyes era and uh, whether we're going to see West Ham fall through that Premier League trapdoor and then a bit of discussion obviously about the game itself and about Liverpool so that's the build-up quite comprehensive I'm sure you'll agree and as I say you can get hold of all of that content free absolutely free seven days anfieldindexpro.com or anfieldindex.com forward slash join they both go to the same place sign up uh, you get seven days absolutely free if you don't like it just get rid of it. If you do like it, and we're sure you will, then you can stick with us for only £4.99 a month or £39.99 per year. So without further ado, I'm going to plough into Money Talks Part 2. You can sign up to the free trial and listen to Part 1, of course. Mo Chatra with Nick Harris on the Manchester City Financial Fair Play case.
2: Hello listeners, I'm Mo Chatra and welcome to Part 2 of Money Talks, which is covering one of the big stories in football this year, Um, And that's the uh, ban that's been imposed by UEFA on Manchester City for two seasons of uh, UEFA competitions, as well as a 30 million euro fine. Uh, We covered a breaking news story um, on Friday night, Eddie Gibbs and I. And we're coming back with a more detailed um, podcast now to delve into the story in a bit more detail. And who better to discuss that with than somebody that has covered the story in perhaps more detail and for longer than anybody else um, it's nick harris of sporting intelligence so welcome nick how you doing i'm good thanks how are you yeah very really good yeah pretty good thank you so um as i mentioned um you have been covering this story for quite a considerable amount of time and um, do you just want to explain um since when you started to um cover this story and um what the uh, kind of conclusions were that you were reaching when you were first covering it back in, before even, in fact, FFP was introduced?
0: Yeah, I mean, I was um, I was working for the Independent back in the, the 90s when, um, when sort of um, licensing and FFP and their precursors were first being discussed. And then, um, you know, Sporting Intelligence started in 2010, which was around the time that... Um, the rules, the FFP and licensing rules that are now in place were being, in, first of all, you know, put, put in place by a variety of academics in, in consultation with UEFA. And in terms of FFP's relationship specifically to Manchester City, I guess 2010, 2011, as we approached the first monitoring periods, is when, you know, intensively sort of looking not just at Manchester City, but of course at Manchester United and Arsenal and Chelsea and Liverpool and all the clubs who might fall foul of it in England and elsewhere and um, so in terms of reporting Manchester City's relationship with FFP I mean I'm looking at an article now from 2011 that was a huge piece on sporting intelligence and and I guess where it is perceived that I've come into conflict with Manchester City fans over this I think is because I'm one of the people who covered it from the beginning and it was very clear very early on that Manchester City were going to fall foul of FFP. of course there's an entirely legitimate debate about whether ffp is fair and whether it um, um sort of uh keeps the, the the big clubs the biggest richest clubs um uh, in their place and in their place of dominance and there's an entirely legitimate debate about that personally as i wrote a number of times over a number of years I would have structured FFP very slightly differently. For example, I would have allowed unlimited benefactor funding, but put in place a, a, a structure where the money put in by whoever that benefactor was was placed in escrow. So let me give you an example. If, beginning Sheikh Mansour had, and, and such a system were in place, and Sheikh Mansour had said, "We want," I want to spend five billion pounds um, over the next decade on Manchester City um, in order to protect Manchester City should um anything happened to him he could put that money in escrow you know in an independently monitored system and and then supposing he died or there was a coup or for whatever reason he collapsed and and city would be massively vulnerable the money would be in escrow to to allow a um, a safe sort of tapering back of of what had been put into the club that's that's personally what i would have done in terms of ffp but it doesn't matter what i done because that's i would have done because that's not what happened but in this piece Right from the beginning, it was absolutely clear that City were going to fail FFP, and that was their choice. The rules were in place. They'd signed up to it. And rather than try and grow organically and a bit more slowly and and just spend that bit of money less to, 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 um, to meet the rules, they made a conscious decision of buying all these players, of accelerating their wage bill, and it was absolutely clear they were going to fail. They even went down to the point of making best case and worst case forecast results for that first monitoring period and um, it was absolutely obvious they were going to lose at least 100 million pounds instead of the 39 million they were allowed and possibly more than 200 million and in the end it was nearly 200 million they were judged to have lost and they were sanctioned and over the period of a decade it's just gone on and on like this at each different point of just trying to factually cover how Man City have failed FFP once, been punished and accepted that punishment without appeal, how they uh, subsequently, you know, their accounts came out and we find out that different ways that they've basically cooked the books or tried to cook the books and and how UEFA sanctioned them for that. And at every different point, just trying to cover the factual stuff of what has been going on, what Manchester City have or haven't done. And and yeah, 10 years, it's not exactly a barrel of laughs covering this stuff for 10 years. But that, that's the sort of genesis of it.
2: All right, okay. Thank you for that. Um, so, with the uh, implementation of FFP, and it obviously initially uh, applied to three year reporting periods, and I think the first round came into effect around 13, 14, but went back to 11, 12. And it was that same season of 11, 12 that they um, announced this um, amazing deal. Um, a 10-year deal with Etihad, who um, obviously are very closely connected to uh, the ownership group at Manchester City and City Football Group. Um, and, and this was one very obvious example that people pointed to, of um, you know, the owners and the club itself um, trying to circumvent FFP, um, even as far back as that. And, um, you know, it, it was something that I think had been picked up um, as part of the initial investigation back in 2014 um, but that certainly seems to have um, drawn further interest more recently as part of this um, investigation that started last year um due to these email leaks um, and it was interesting that um, Manchester City have never ever denied the veracity of these emails they have only seemed to suggest that the emails were um, out of context or read out of context but when you see emails that state that um, for example Etihad in 2015 plumped eight million pounds into the Etihad shirt sponsorship and stadium sponsorship deal um, with the remaining, remaining 57 or so million um, coming or 59 million coming in from um, either the Abu Dhabi government or um, the ownership group itself um, then obviously that that will draw um, a lot of skepticism about cities proclamations that they are entirely innocent um so with, with all that with all that said um and obviously you've clo- closely followed this story w- what's your view about um, their sponsorship um income over those last seven or eight years in particular uh, when sponsorship revenues for the uh, for Manchester, seems to have gone through the roof relative to um, other Premier League clubs. Never mind some of the other clubs around Europe.
0: Yeah, I mean, back on on the uh, that first monitoring period that that led to their punishment in 2014. That the first monitoring period was a two-year period, and yeah, you're right. It did coincide with um, with that Etihad deal, which initially was a 10-year, 350 million pound deal. Now. One important thing to say about that is that with transparency, much greater levels of transparency would help everybody in this situation. Because City were briefing and and sort of letting it be known in detail that 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 was a ten-year, three hundred and fifty million pound deal. It, it was it's been upgraded a number of times since, but because values have never been confirmed on it, it's very unclear as to how much it has been worth at any stage since then because they've sort of renewed it under new terms but n- never made public the terms so um we don't know for example exactly officially how much the etihad deal is currently worth we believe it's about 80 million pounds a year for Stadium Shirt campus back to your question of 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 whether cities commercial revenues and how real they are and by that I mean how much they reflect what they could get uh, in a genuinely open market from companies that bear no relation and are not in any way under the influence of Sheikh Mansour or, or the UAE. Um, you have to look at the sort of the total values of cities commercial revenues now which are about um, 240. um 230, 240 million, we don't know for this season, but looking at last season's figures, more than 50% of, of cities' um, commercial revenues are derived from companies based in the UAE um, uh, under the influence of Mansour and his associates, including Etihad, Etisalat, and Visit, uh, the Tourism Authority. They also used uh-huh. to have, have a... Uh, no, no. They used to have Arbar, which was um, was uh, was another one, but the visit tourism is is still currently on the roster. And we know right. from the 2014 settlement that um, city were basically warned that um, some of those, uh, certainly, I think it was the Arbar and the Etisalat ones were valued above. Were, were, they were receiving more money than than independent experts said they were worth. In terms of um, the Der Spiegel leaks and the 8 million pounds that Etihad were allegedly paying with the balance um, of 57 million or whatever coming directly from um, entities owned or controlled by Sheikh Mansour, that that does seem to be the most sort of egregious um, element of trying to circumvent the rules. But I think it is worth... And pointing out at this stage, just to be clear about the two things that city have been banned for. UEFA announced first of all serious breaches of the FFP regulations between 2012 and 2016 and secondly, non-cooperation with UEFA's inquiry into these breaches. What they've been banned for is not the actual um, sort of cooking of the books as it were, in itself. But rather, and I'm I'm borrowing here what I think is a brilliant example from The Guardian journalist David Kahn when he was talking about this the other day, an analogy that David came up with. Rather, it's a breach of trust, which itself is a breach of the regulations that led to them cooking the books or allegedly cooking the books. And the analogy David used is this, which is if you are caught speeding, um, doing... 46 miles in a 30 zone and you get a 60 quid fine or 100 quid fine and and three points that's that's an offence and that's wrongdoing if you then in an attempt to get out of what is basically a punishment but not a particularly serious punishment lie and say that you weren't behind the wheel then you have now committed a serious criminal offence for which you will go to prison so in those terms Yes, this is about city allegedly putting in money uh, into their coffers when it wasn't genuinely generated. It isn't per se about whether how many contracts Roberto Mancini had on or off the books, although it is related to that, it's related to the breach of trust um, of breaking the rules, and further, the um, alleged non-cooperation. With UEFA in investigating this, so it is complex and it's nuanced, but it ultimately does come down to City um, having a lot more income than um, and from sources than than where they actually claimed it was originally from. Sure,
2: sure, okay. Um, Now it, it has been clear for some time that many powerful individuals, clubs, and other parties had been lobbying UEFA to punish Man City. Uh, one of those um, was obviously the League President Javier Tabas, who spoke out public publicly about Manchester City on numerous occasions. Um, and also the biggest clubs around Europe, um, and the owners of those clubs, notably PSG's uh, owners QSI and others, um, were said to be pushing uh, UEFA president Alexander Seferin and UEFA's uh, club financial control body to act. Um, So how much of a factor, if any, do you think this collective pressure from across Europe played a part in um, last week's um, statement uh, where UEFA announced their decision?
0: To be honest, I think that it's a bit of a red herring. It's not something that I believe has played a massive part in this particular case. UEFA have bought... Um, charges and prosecuted dozens and dozens of clubs in the last uh, six five six seven years and the details of those settlements and prosecutions are on UEFA's website. Clubs all across Europe from every different league for different elements of breaching FFP. Manchester City don't like FFP and are now basically making it publicly known that in effect, that they think it's a corrupt system and it was always a corrupt system, but they didn't make this point crucially at the point that they and all the other clubs up signed up to abide by the rules. I mean, Heavier Tabas has, has been very, very vocal in calling PSG and Manchester City corrupt and that they've got to be punished. But the way that UEFA have actually gone about prosecuting Manchester City, this came about because of the De Spiegel leaks information coming into the public domain that wasn't hitherto unknown, that allowed UEFA to, to make a judgment over whether Manchester City had been honest with them. Hence they opened this investigation, which has led to the two year ban. I think equally this idea that, that sort of, some sort of corrupt cartel elite put these rules in place in order deliberately to shaft Man City or PSG in the first place is equally false. There was a long process of, of, of trying to come up with a way to um save clubs from themselves i.e stop stop a gretna i know it's a small example and it's one that a lot of people will know but you know gretna were bankrolled in scotland for a number of years by a wealthy businessman called brooks mileson and it was always publicly stated that should he never be there there'd be money to make sure the club didn't survive and one day he dropped dead and the club literally went disappeared because they'd spent beyond their means so there was ffp was was about it wasn't about fairnesses in leveling a playing field or making it more competitively balanced it was about clubs dealing fairly with each other paying their debts paying transfer fees on times making sure they were paying their tax Uh, the the break-even element of it which was sort of introduced uh, you know in the consultation period between 2008 and 2010 and uh, you, you know was about trying to stop clubs from overspending but even then there's a lots of misconceptions about exactly what clubs can and can't spend i mean ffp allows any football club to spend limitless amounts of money on facilities youth development women's football infrastructure all sorts of things ffp the break even element of it only only really tried to restrict clubs in terms of what they could spend on on buying and paying players i e make trying trying to set up a system that would cut the losses of clubs who were spending too much money um, and actually that 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 part of it did work losses across um european top top level top flight clubs across europe uh changed from a 1.7 billion loss in 2011 to a 500 million pound profit in uh, 2017 so it did work in kind of bringing a bit of financial sanity there is of course a completely legitimate and different debate now about whether FFP had an unintended consequences in helping to buttress the, the situations of the big clubs, Juventus winning so many titles in a row, Bayern Munich, um, and so on, a entirely legitimate debate whether FFP needs to be changed into something else or tweaks, but when we come back to it coming in and clubs signing up to abide by it, Manchester City did that and then set about trying to undermine it and that's what they were punished for in 2014 and it's why the ban has been handed down now and of course the 20 million dollar question is you know what happens on their appeal but that's why they were fined and that's the background to it oh
2: and it was interesting also that when they accepted their punishment in 2014 they didn't make um suggestions that um they were being dealt with by a kangaroo court in essence and uh you know, for them to now argue that uh, when it was a very similar process this time around, um, I think further lessens their credibility with, with this argument. Um, now, with, with this case, obviously, they are looking to uh, expedite it from the statement that was made um, and would like to conclude this matter um, as soon as possible, um, because the uncertainty is certainly not good for them. Um, but obviously not, not good for um, other clubs as well in the Premier League. Um, so how how do you see this playing out then, specifically when it comes to this case with UEFA? Um, do, you, do you think that um, they've got a leg to stand on? Do you think um, UEFA's got a pretty strong case here? Well, UEFA,
0: in terms of the way it works, there's an, a, an investigatory chamber uh, and there's an adjudicatory chamber. Separate chambers basically um being operated and the people working within those chambers are are sort of highly esteemed independent people so you've got you know qc from england is on is, is part of the adjudicatory panel um you know who made this decision to to or, or rather up, upheld the recommendation of the investigatory chamber that, that city be banned charles flink qc exactly charles flink qc these are Actually independent people, they are not UEFA and and city's messaging on this has been quite um blurred you know, they when, when the verdict came out last friday um they they said it's what we expected uh, this has been a prejudice case UEFA prejudice against us, basically saying this is you know judge jury and executioner is the same person yesterday there's a sort of again a somewhat strange and self serving uh, interview in house. Um, Manchester City with uh, their CEO Ferran Soriano and there was a slight change there he was now effectively between the lines saying actually there's good people at UEFA and they do good work but these the investigatory chamber again between the lines his messages they're dodgy it, you know which if I were one of the independent people on these panels I'd probably have quite a serious problem with that I mean it's quite um, you know that's, that's slanderous but there you go so the messaging of City is inconsistent as is as is the idea that you know they went to CAS recently to try and get this whole process stopped on the basis of alleged leaks to the media by UEFA but you know in terms of them leaking inverted commas um, information to the media while claiming to be tight-lipped again it's it's just not true i mean they're talking to the media they're, they're, they're placing stories in, in newspapers and websites with their view of things, which they're absolutely entitled to do. But to claim that they're tight-lipped and not speak to the media, it's just not true. Oh. As for as for, for where sure. it goes now, I mean, Soriano says he hopes they can get it done and dusted by the summer, and that's great. But actually, it is up to City really, how quickly this moves, because Cass will be willing to expedite it and, and work as quickly as possible. So if City wants to get this done and dusted in the next few months you know by may by june certainly before the 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 draw and 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 next season's champions league begins The balls in their court on on that as is the level of transparency by which they want the public their fans journalists whoever else to see this if they want this to be an open hearing with public access and media access so that we can all sort of basically see what's happening on a day by day basis day by day basis they can, they can request that and that can be granted. So it'd be interesting to see if they do want to have this dealt with in, in an open, transparent and quick manner because the ball's in their court on all those things.
2: No, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's it really interesting to see how they decide to play this because, as, as you noted, that having some mixed messages coming out on the one hand, you know, insisting that they are entirely innocent um, of these as they quoted allegations even though it's it's not an allegation it's a decision that has been made and and uh, UEFA intend to punish them with a two-season ban and a 30 million euro fine. um but then we're going to CAS um it certainly doesn't appear to be the case that they are looking to challenge the very essence of FFP um they intend to initially um try to absolve themselves of uh, this, this punishment and to kind of prove um, in their view that they are innocent. Now, if if they are unsuccessful on that front, which I, I think they will be, then their next step might be to challenge FFP, perhaps to argue that um, UEFA's application of its rules around FFP haven't been consistently applied, and that is where you know some of the talk around City pulling together evidence and information about. UEFA's dealings or how they've approached this matter with in relation to other clubs, specifically PSG, uh, might might have a bit more mileage to it. Um, so, so what what do you think about them being able to challenge it, or do you think that their the fact that they signed up to FFP in the first instance and had accepted the punishment in 2014 um, might might damn them on that front too?
0: Yeah, dealing with that part first. Um, yes, they signed up to FFP, and yes. By accepting a settlement agreement in 2014, they, in effect, and actually did accept um, UEFA's right to have FFP and to rule on it because they accepted it without appeal. They accepted it. They accepted the legitimacy of FFP and of UEFA's right to implement it. There's a precedent that Galatasaray tried to make um, uh, the case after being... Caught a second time infringing FFP that that it wasn't fair but you know they previously accepted a settlement and so it's it's not a great argument for them to suddenly say we don't accept the legitimacy of it Um, however we don't know what the strategy is going to be because obviously City are briefing different people different things it's a very scattergun approach I mean there's a very interesting and detailed article uh, in The Athletic over the weekend um, talking about you know a well-informed piece i might add um you know that's obviously had had input from people at manchester city talking about the 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 strategy that they're going to pursue a strategy whereby um they are going to talk about other people who've got off um they're, they're apparently looking to sort of throw you know put in doubt the the legitimacy of other clubs policies they're going to say, look, everyone's at it. Why are you after us? I'm obviously, paraphrasing, but lots of interesting information about that might be the strategy. That's how they're going to approach it. Then again, following that, there's an article in the Financial Times, again written by really experienced season journalists with great contacts, where saying that under consideration as part of city strategy is that they are in fact going to, uh, you know, make a make a, a claim based on. Um, the entire legitimacy of FFP, and again, you know, well-informed in- well journalists writing about City strategy—they're they're not writing these stories, you know, through telepathy. Um, the idea that City have not spoken to journalists, I mean, about this and about potential strategy, is a nonsense. And we don't know what the strategy will be, and it remains to be seen. But uh, what we do know is City will do absolutely anything and everything they can to try to have this ban overturned and it may be that they use one strategy or a mixture of strategies at the CAS and if CAS if that fails it may be that you know they try and take it to a higher court. but until we see what happens at CAS um, we simply won't know.
2: Okay so um UEFA hasn't been the only uh, governing body that has been scrutinising and looking into Manchester City's financial affairs. And so since March of last year, um, they've also been under investigation by the Premier League over much the same allegations um, that led to UEFA opening its investigation last year as well. Um, so UEFA's decision is bound to now place the Premier League under pressure to not only make its decision on whether CEO are guilty of any wrongdoing, but um, they will surely be under, under pressure to reach pretty much the same conclusion as that UEFA um, so from from your contact from people you know is there any word on if the Premier League is close to concluding its investigation and if so are they likely to follow UEFA's lead?
0: There's no word um, some of us saw Richard Masters the new CEO of the Premier League a couple of weeks ago and we asked him about this and he he said look there's an ongoing investigation he confirmed it it is it exists and it's ongoing and beyond that he can't say anything because that's the nature of investigations. He said that on the record, and when we asked him privately later, he said exactly the same thing off the record, that these things are very sensitive, it's not right and proper for him to be talking about an investigation, and that's it, that is the stance, that is what I know, there is an investigation. Now, what would I sort of guess is happening with the premier league's investigation is obviously though they will be waiting with great interest to see what happens at CAS, because what happens at CAS, obviously will give um, will give them a good footing to know what ma- they may or may not be able to do legally in terms of their investigation but and again i think it would this isn't from a briefing or anything, but it's just simple logic that if it comes down to the simple point that City are in fact found guilty of providing misleading information to regulators, whether that's the UEFA or to the Premier League themselves, then that would then become something that the Premier League would have to presumably act upon in terms of seeing whether, you know, they were provided with the same erroneous information if indeed it's proven that that, that was the case. And then, then further than that, they'll have to see you know, which Premier League rules does that contradict? And, you know, Premier League FFP is a different beast to UEFA for FFP. Losses are, are allow, allowable much bigger under Premier League FFP. But yeah, I think in a nutshell, they'll be waiting to see what happens at CAS because it, it will be important for legal precedent, if nothing else, um, where they go next.
2: Indeed, and um, I I think it's also quite telling that um, the Premier League has been working on this investigation for close to a year as well now, which suggests to me that they have um, treated these allegations seriously, um, but also are looking to delve into the matter in in the right kind of uh, approach with proper diligence. And um, if that's the case, and again, I think think City could be in a spot of bother and... You know, again, some of the talk over the weekend was that um, if, if um, the Premier League decided to come down hard on City, that, um, you know, demotion from the league um, could be a possibility. And indeed, if they were to drop into the EFL, they'd have to drop all the way down to the bottom tier of League Two, um, <laughs> which could be quite, quite um, kind of visual of seeing Pep Guardiola standing on the sidelines, um, at African Stanley, for example. But... Uh, no, that, that that's, um, that's still um, somewhere before we get to that point in time. Um, now, so w- one of the other implications from all of this, and it's something I tweeted about over the weekend, is um, the law looking into this matter um, around the possibility of false accounting, falsifying accounts. And just to be absolutely clear, I'm not for a moment suggesting that that has taken place. Um, in this particular situation, Um, but certainly um, if there are um, views that have been reached around the uh, presentation of financial records and uh, the veracity of the information that's being provided, it is possible um, that some um, element of false accounting may have taken place depending on how you define it. Um, so the law might take an interest in this case. But secondly, um, one of the other um, set of uh, emails that were uh, published by De Spiegel um, related to the way in which uh, Roberto Mancini was remunerated by um, Manchester City and um, Rob Harris asked the question um, to Pep Guardiola last season, um, which was very prickly about, um, quite famously so. So uh, this is yet another area that potentially could cause um, certain people at City um, some sleepless nights. Um, again, have, have you heard anything on that front about um, hate why the HMRC or the you know, police, for example, looking to investigate um, this situation? Um, no, in a word. I think on
0: on the more extreme level of, of what could theoretically happen to, to Man City, and this is obviously my own opinion, but on, say, demotion to League Two, I think there's absolutely no chance whatsoever of anything remotely like that happening. I don't think there's any appetite, even in the Premier League, amongst Premier League clubs, to have City stripped of titles, even if they are found guilty. And I think... Uh, you, you know, probably their worst-case scenario, even if they were found guilty of Premier League rule breaking, might be a points deduction. But even that, I wouldn't be holding my breath or thinking that that's necessarily likely for various reasons. On the criminal side of things, again, no, there is no active criminal investigation um, uh, into false accounting or, or whatever. Nobody has reported City for doing that, and 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 again, I don't think that that is something that will is likely to happen and uh, the reason why is City have been found guilty of breaking UEFA's competition rules it's a sporting competition and the rules the FFP rules around that are, are breaking the sporting competition rules it's not illegal and it wouldn't have been illegal for example for Manchester City or Sheikh Mansour to be putting money into companies that then pass it on to Manchester City under the guise of of um you know um being legitimate in in sporting terms there's as far as i'm aware in terms of false accounting or alleged false accounting there isn't and hasn't been any criminal wrongdoing either alleged or proven rather it's cooking the books basically in order to surpass sporting a sporting governing body's rules so on that um i haven't i haven't heard anything and i, I wouldn't expect city to or, or city um to face uh, criminal charges it's just not something i'd expect uh, related i mean you might expect that individuals involved if 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 this indeed is upheld at the end of what could be a very long legal process individuals whether that's ceo soriano or a financial officer or, or whoever that individuals have broken uefa rules i mean they may um, under premier League rules, um be disqualified from holding their current posts at their jobs. I mean, um, that is something that could theoretically happen, but that's that's still a long way from criminal action. um as to the point about Rob Paris's question uh, on that um that notable day and the reaction from city fans, um, what I would say there is, to to try and understand how you get to a point where Rob is asking a question like that. Uh, And again, uh, whether it's that people just don't know how things work or or don't understand. As soon as the the Spiegel leaks came out and and we got to see actual paperwork. And the first thing a journalist does when you see that is is you go to Manchester city and you say, look, could you just tell us are these, are these legitimate documents? Are they, are you saying they're forgeries? Is, Is this, fake information are you alleging that things have been changed you know tell us if you don't want to tell us off the record then uh, on the record then then guide us off the record simply tell us it, it was always within city's power had they wanted to and this is before the ua for investigation this is when the leaks came out so they so city so city couldn't sort of say oh there's an investigation we can't come out. there wasn't any investigation when we were first asked asking these questions me rob Tarek panja lots of journalists would go to city People who've covered this stuff years we go to City and say, you know, are you saying these are fake? Are you saying they've been doctored? Are you saying City could, it was entirely within City's power to say these documents are fake, they're whatever. They didn't do that. At no point, on or off the record, did they make any effort to sort of say that the documents were fake. So we come to the Mancini situation. Mancini, it is alleged, was being paid by these two entities. Um, one in UAE plus Manchester City. So the natural question is if the documents aren't fake and City was being paid in two different ways to try and mitigate FFP losses and City had got away with it, as had seemed to be the case, then it's a legitimate question of, well, if they did that before, have they also done that in terms of Pep Guardiola's contracts? Is Pep Guardiola just being paid by Manchester City Football Club Or is he also being paid, for example, by CFG, the parent company, which means that part of his wages are not counted in in the FFP reckoning? And or is he also being paid by uh, an entity in the UAE? I think that's an entirely legitimate journalistic question that myself and Rob and others were asking in writing on the phone repeatedly. Again, it was entirely within Citi's um, power to simply say, Uh, Pep Guardiola is being paid by Manchester City Football Club and only Manchester City Football Club, and he always has been. They could have put that in an official statement. On the record, they could have told us, you know, we're not going to put this out in a attributable statement, but we promise you everything is entirely above board with Pep Guardiola's contract. And that would have been the end of the matter in terms of that's it. We would take that at face value. We would ask them an honest question. We would believe what they told us in terms of if they came out and gave us that clear... An obvious guidance, but that didn't happen. They could have very simply cleared it up. So the, it, it gets to a point where you have fairly limited opportunities to, to to bring things like this up at appropriate times. And and there'd been a development in the FFP case that week, the week before Rob asked that question. And I can absolutely understand why City fans would think, "Oh, this is a, a terrible time. What terrible timing!" But it was the first opportunity in terms of a press conference to put that directly to pep and yes it's it's uncomfortable and it's a hard question and you can see why pep would react to it in that way and and i think maybe pep possibly slightly misconstrued the question as in you know he 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 took it that he was being accused of 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 behaving corruptly himself as opposed to a much more nuanced and dry and frankly boring you you know um, element to the question which was You know, are you just being paid by Man City FC or or, or do you also get some money through CFG? This would not be illegal. You would not have broken any laws. But in terms of the dry technical stuff that FFP is concerned with, it was a legitimate question. And that's the background, you know, through 10 years of this, through 10 years of being told one thing um, on the record and in public statements about what City have or haven't done. And sort of knowing different elements of the story through investigative journalism and other sources, sources inside and outside Manchester City to be sort of face obfuscation and in some cases deliberately misleading information and untrue briefings. You know, it's been a 10 year process. Um, and I think that's something that may be Lots of just general readers and fans would not necessarily appreciate. This isn't some sort of hounding and harassment of Manchester City. This is just journalists who cover this boring stuff doing their jobs.
2: No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Now, on on the subject of uh, potential uh, league implications, um, Manchester City and uh, CFG, indeed, um, do have... uh, Stakes um, that held by other parties. So uh, there is a Chinese consortium that bought into uh, City Football Group um, a little over four years ago, buying at that time a 13% stake. And as far as I'm aware, um, they still own that stake. And Silver Lake, more recently, um, a private equity firm based in the United States, um, invested 500 million for a 10% stake uh, less than three months ago. Um, it'd be really interesting interesting to know what they are thinking at this moment in time, Silver Lake particularly, um, given that um, you know that this is a very damaging case reputationally um, for Manchester City and City Football Group. And if if everything is upheld and when all is said and done um City are punished and are p- punished severely, um, then Silver Lake might see the value of their investment drop quite appreciably so um do, do you think it's plausible that they might even decide to go down the legal route um if the punishments punishment is upheld
0: again we can only speculate i have not spoken to silver lake about what they might do and i don't think they'd be commenting anyway because they've just entered into this you know 10 percent um, agreement and paid paid that money um you'd imagine that they might not be particularly happy if if the verdicts are upheld and City serve a two-year ban from the Champions League, uh, if they were given assurances by Manchester City that Manchester City were entirely innocent and would get no punishment, then it's it really is quite a different scenario to be facing um, a period when they might miss two years of Champions League. I mean, personally... I don't. I don't think they will miss two years of Champions League. I mean, don't want to jump ahead too far, but I, th- I think even if they get punished, it, it would look like an obvious sort of middle ground for them to be punished, but not as harshly as recommended. But you know, maybe maybe, maybe the um, CAS will find that City are entirely innocent when they see the all the evidence City say they they've provided maybe they'll serve a two year ban, but if they do serve a two year ban, then that really does damage, it damages the brand of Manchester City and it damages in a very real way, their income potential for the next two seasons, very, very seriously. I mean, I don't think we can overstate how serious it would be for the sort of long term future of Manchester City, if they went and served a two year ban and we can talk about some of the detail of that, but really serious repercussions financially for City, if they are banned um what silver lake do is up to them but but both silver lake and the chinese company you, you know who between them now own 23 percent of city football group the parent company I, I think i think what they were buying into was not just a straightforward investment that um you know where they felt there's going to be a, a shorter even medium term r- return for their money because city city football group the parent company is 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 a significantly loss-making company and Manchester City would be loss-making if if it weren't for the um, uh, huge amount of sponsorship derived from the UAE. Uh, So I I think, and again this is just my view, but from the outside I think there's much more of a strategic value both for the Chinese and for for, um, Silver Lake to be um, working strategically and geopolitically with what is in effect the the state of the UAE. uh, in terms of other business dealings, strategic, you know, work, whether that's in property plays in Manchester or in trying to break new markets than than a purely uh, investment point of view and re- an ROI for their money. Because, you know, uh, although Mr Soriano and City fans will constantly talk about how what a well run and profitable club manchester city now is and 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 it stands on its own two feet i'm afraid that, you know the reality is it's not true i mean city made a, a 10 million pound profit last season which is not a big profit on a turnover of 535 million pounds and 130 or, or million of that or so came from um, uae sources um in, in commercial income so um you know there's a lot of sort of blurry lines here
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now, now, just to kind of bring this to a close, um, one of the things that has been talked about, and um, I think uh, Professor Simon Chadwick is one of these individuals, um, is that uh, Abu Dhabi's initial decision to buy into Manchester City um, was pretty much, well, largely, largely driven by um, soft power related reasons. and. Um, Clearly, the publicity that um, the club, the ownership group, and Abu Dhabi itself is um, receiving at this time is, is mostly negative and overwhelmingly negative. Now, if the decision is upheld, if the Premier League, for example, decide to follow suit and punish uh, City 2 and all appeals are fruitless, uh, that, that, that could be hugely damaging reputationally um, to Abu Dhabi. So, do you think if, if all of these decisions are upheld um there is the possibility that Abu Dhabi might just decide well look um the primary reason or reasons for buying into this project um are no longer there let's just withdraw do you think that's possible or do you think that no matter what happens they will stick by this and will look to uh stay a part of Manchester City for the foreseeable future
0: yeah, I think the latter. Personally, I, I, I've heard and seen nothing to suggest that um, that, Abu, Dhabi, you know, uh, the UAE and Sheikh Mansour are, are thinking of pulling out. They're clearly going to make a really robust attempt at defending this stuff. They're going to take it to do whatever they can to try and clear their name and mitigate punishment. But even if even if the things were upheld, um yeah, it would be massively damaging reputationally, but they could get over that. They, they would get over that. For, for all the criticism of around the FFP issue, Manchester City, the coverage of Manchester City by and large, the vast majority of the coverage of Manchester City by and large around the world, even now, is that they are a scintillating and brilliant football team uh, playing the most incredible football, some of the most incredible football that the Premier League has ever seen under, under one of the greatest coaches of all time. That is largely still the coverage. This is, this is a a sort of a storm that they're going to have to weather, but but they would absolutely get through it over a period of years in terms of reputation. Uh, 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 and, And in terms of, you know, Simon Chadwick saying that this was a reputational thing and a sports washing effectively i mean that's not even speculation anymore that is fact as as coming from the mouth of gary cook former ceo when he gave a, a recent fascinating interview to danny taylor of the athletic i mean he confirmed it that you know he was there when it happened he knew why um, uae were coming into city so 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 yeah i think it, reputation it's damaging and Turbulent and difficult now, but they could come through it the same as they came through it in 2014. I mean that was embarrassing for them and very very slightly sort of put the handbrake on what they were doing, but not very much, but they came through it um, to win a domestic treble another cup since and so on. I think the the more damaging thing for them won't be reputational. It was as I alluded to it will be it will be the bottom line if if they miss even a single season of Champions League football we're talking about a dip in revenues of about £100 million next season. Let's say hypothetically it's upheld, and this is hypothetical, obviously, until, until cash, but let's say it's upheld and it is next season that they're banned for. Then last season, we can see from the 2018-19 accounts, City made um, £86 million in prize cash from UEFA alone, and that figure is actually Uh, stipulated specifically in the accounts, it was actually 85.656, I think, 86 million pounds in TV cash from UA for a loan. They paid five home games, um, which with match day and hospitality income um, for those five games, as well as ticket sales, is about another 10 million. And then they've got commercial income related to Europe on on top of that. So we're talking about give or take 100 million pounds that City make from from, uh, participation in the Champions League if that were last season and that their revenues weren't 535 with a profit of 10 million but 435 because they hadn't been in europe it would have been a loss of 90 million pounds city will have a big hole in their books if they lose out on UEFA for income maybe it won't be as big as 100 million because the puma deals now kicked in and the domestic tv money's gone up a bit but let's say it's 40 or 50 million pounds city would go from being a profitable club with champions league football and income to significantly loss making to the tune of quite a few tens of millions of pounds which in turn would make them much more liable to fail ffp ironically in future seasons so i think that is that is the biggest risk to city in real terms um the financial hit uh, that that might then lead them to fail ffp again and the only way they would not fail ffp again is to scale back either on players and and uh, and player wages and obviously if you start selling players and cutting your wage bill you're going to cut ultimately the quality on the pitch because that's the quality on the pitch is as we know derived principally from how much you spend on wages because that reflects the level of talent you've got so city have to sort of go into a cycle of, of scaling back and becoming weaker on the pitch and therefore earning less that is a more damaging medium to long-term a- aspect of all this and some reputational damage that they could come through you know relatively quickly in my view
2: sure no i quite agree with that but i think that the other kind of element to this is around the sponsorship and ultimately commercial revenues as well In that if they know that um, no matter what the figures are that are stated within their accounts um, that are presented as commercial revenue if ultimately on the fair value assessment um, they will always be considered to be you know 50 to 100 million pound less on a fair value basis than, actually, than the figures that were actually reported and declared, um, then that, that, again, takes a considerable hit on, on the FFP calculation and may force them into um, significantly dismantling that squad um, because without doing that, they will fail FFP and test year in, year out. Um, so if they want to get back into UEFA um, competitions and notably the Champions League, um, then they'll have to consider the degree to which um sponsorship and commercial revenue ultimately um, is assessed at by UEFA and so that that's the secondary hit um that will uh, be imposed upon them uh, which they'll also have to consider so it it really is um quite difficult on the financial front um if they uh, are unsuccessful in overturning this decision. Right. Okay. So uh, finally then, uh, you, you have over the years uh, come in for some considerable abuse from uh, Man City fans. Have they been leaving you alone recently or have they still been going at it quite heavy over the last few days? Well,
0: I mean, any journalist that covers FFP is going to get a ton of abuse from Man City fans for covering the subject. Um, and that's just part of the course. I mean, that uh, any city fan is absolutely entitled to um you know slag off journalists and call them biased and you know abuse them um that's par for the course it's um it's not any more or less dispiriting about people being abusive and polarized and whatever on any given subject so um you know that's that's their right you know we've got free speech if they want to call me names for doing my job then so be it. Um, They obviously do feel very strongly um, that they are the victims of some sort of media conspiracy, that this is the media's fault, um, which is obviously farcical and laughable. Um, They believe that they've been a a victim of a a UEFA conspiracy and an evil cartel which is equally as risible. Um, There are, it's interesting, I mean on Friday night, there was there was sort of a, a bit of a change of tone amongst some of the City fans, sort of saying, starting to question whether actually the club have let them down. It, it wasn't a, a big groundswell of City fans, but I noticed on social media and on, on the Blue Moon Forum, there, were, there was sort of um, a, a change of tone amongst some fans. And um, others have sort of been tweeting at me, look, I think we should suck up this ban. We've done wrong, we'll get over it. Again, that's, that's a change of tone. But there obviously is a, a hardcore who feel that they are victims and that um, anybody but Man City is responsible for this. Whereas um, I think a lot of people looking at it objectively would would sort of think that uh, that really isn't the case. Um, But um, but, you know, in terms of City fans being abusive, I mean, every single time I've done a story that looks at wrongdoing or alleged wrongdoing by any group or any club, including, I have to say, you know, Liverpool fans in 2010, when I investigated a sort of would-be buyer of the club, Kenny Huang, and sort of um, spent a summer sort of showing that he was a bit of a con man and a bit of a liar and that he didn't actually own an NBA team and he wasn't on the board of a, one of China's biggest banks and he didn't have the university education he claimed and all this sort of thing. I mean, you know, I got dog's abuse on Raw from Liverpool fans and, again, that's part of the course. I got dog's abuse from Leeds fans when you know the clueless potless gfh capital were buying their club and turning it into a basket case i got abuse from qpr fans for saying that they were going to be hit with a multi tens of millions of pounds fine you get dogs abuse from um any any fans of any club when you sort of try and um dig around so it's not new and city fans are abusing journalists for doing their jobs is is uh is not new um but yeah it's not um it's not what you like, but um there you go it's part of the course it's the world we oh, live in
2: yes absolutely right well, thank you ever so much for your time, Nick um really appreciate your insight um in, into this obviously, as we talked about at the, at the top of the podcast you've been covering this story right from the beginning, and um I shared some really Um, interesting perspectives and insight into this as it has developed over the years and especially since um, the announcement from last Friday. So thank you ever so much. Where where can people find you on Twitter then? What's your Twitter handle for those that are are unaware?
0: Um, At Sporting Intel, all one word. And uh, they can also, you know, go back if they, if they're fascinated about reading about FFP back to 2010, 11, there's lots of stories at www.sportingintelligence.com and, um, and on our microsite, globalsportssalaries.com, we do an annual report into sort of wages at different sports teams around the world, particularly football teams, look at issues about fairness and balance and popularity and all sorts of related issues. So, yeah, feel free to check that out.
2: Excellent. Tremendous. Um, so, once again, thank you so much, Nick, and thank you to listeners and subscribers. On the Index Pro, um, I'll be back again very, very soon uh, with Money Talks. Um, until next
1: time, thanks for listening. So there we go, folks. That was uh, Nick Harris from Sportingintelligence.com with Mochatra taking a deep dive on the Manchester City uh, financial fair play case. And this is going to run and run. There's, as the guys have said in that show, there's going to be so much more to come out on this, and uh, I'm sure we'll get Nick Harris uh, back on again to uh, discuss that the next time some news breaks or there's some movement in the case it's going to be uh very interesting and it could move very quickly and it, it will change the landscape of football going forward there's no two ways about it whichever the outcome so uh keep an eye on that one and keep it tuned to Anfield Index Pro for more of the content that I mentioned at the top of the show it's anfieldindexpro.com Seven days absolutely free, and then you can sign up to either 4 dollars per month or $39.99 per year. And that's 30 to 40, sometimes more podcasts every single month. And we've got some real special stuff coming up uh, on AI Pro in the special time to uh, support Liverpool Football Club. So we hope you'll join us for the ride. We've also got some events coming up. We're going to be doing something in Liverpool on Sunday, the 17th of May, final day of the football season. The best way to find out more about that, to find out about everything that's going on at Anfield Index Pro, and to give us feedback on the shows is on our discord community now it's anfieldindex.com forward slash discord which is d-i-s-c-o-r-d now that is a gaming platform primarily but it's something that we use to build a community it's a thriving community it's very very much worth your while. completely free to join there are some subscriber only areas in there as well but it's well worth your time to come and engage with this uh, with with this bustling Liverpool community it's far more insightful and uh respectful, shall we say, than the likes of Twitter and Facebook, and it's something that we would urge all of our fans to do. Anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. Of course, you can give us feedback to these shows. Do you agree with Nick Harris? Do you agree with Mo Chatra? Do you disagree? I'm sure there'll be many Man City fans out there that do. Uh, best place to give us feedback on Twitter is at Anfield Index Pro, or of course, at Anfield Index. We're also on Facebook. You can find us just by typing in Anfield Index. So, that's it from us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this off the wall, and we'll be back with more very soon. Taste us from that, the paywall side of Anfield Index over at Anfield Index Pro. Until next time, up the reds.